0: Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in Tulsa, why they care, what we can do, and most importantly, what you can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Rant9 Productions and can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm your chief philanthropod, Jesse Orch
1: And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod, Chris Miller.
0: And today, our guests are Colin Sato and Marco Herrera, the founders of Food for the Screwed, a program which aims to help feed people working in the bar and restaurant industry during this pandemic.
1: We talked to Colin and Marco about their love of simple food made well, using that love to feed their struggling friends in the service industry, and also whose idea was it to record a podcast this early?
0: Enjoy. We are very excited to have Marco Herrera and Colin Sato um, from Vintage Wine Bar and Food for the Screwed on the podcast today. Marco, Colin, how you guys doing?
2: Doing great. Good, yeah. Sleepy still, I
0: guess. Yeah, yeah. I imagine as restaurant people, this is early for you, and I thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah. Chris has already been up for like six hours, probably. <laughs> um, I've been up for like two and a half. So for people who don't know, please uh, explain to us what Food for the Screwed is
3: so food for the screwed is basically a program to feed and support our industry friends so uh this started when like the shutdown first happened way back in march where everywhere was closed Uh, it was like before unemployment was coming through before really anyone knew what was really going to happen before any of the aid packages had come through. So basically, this is just a way of us trying to cook like very affordable food, either for free, which was our original model, which was like a little bit unsustainable. And now it's just like extremely, extremely cheap. Basically, people pay for the ingredients and then we cook a ton of food and we give it out each week. There's obviously more like details behind it, but that's a basic idea.
0: Where'd the name come from?
3: So funny story, it was originally not called Food for the Screwed. Originally, it was called Food for the I don't know if that's allowed to be on the podcast. But I mean, most of it was like, we were like, wow, we really are in a bad spot. Like the business was in a bad spot. We all had no income. Like it was a kind of crazy time. So we're like, man, we got to do something. Like we're all screwed right now. I don't know what we're gonna do. We're like, at least we can cook. And we're like, oh, let's make some food for the screwed. And then after that, we started talking about it. We're like, it's better than just like, letting all of our friends go broke or go hungry. So yeah, that was the
0: idea. How has it been going? Like how often are you doing like deliveries? Cause you're, you're making meals. Like people are donating money. So you buy ingredients, you make a thing and then you're delivering those meals to people.
2: So right now it's like it, they pick up food on Sundays. So essentially it's actually kind of every week I think is the week that we just aren't going to be able to do it because we have like, We, the restaurant, we have maybe like slightly more refrigerator space than like an average household. Like we have as much refrigerator space as like rich families in the suburbs that have like a garage fridge is like the (laughs) amount of refrigerator space that we have. So what we have, what that forces us to do is Sundays, we do a quick brunch service. We buy all of the food. We have some food get delivered on Saturdays from food distributors, depending on pricing, but then we cook, then cook all of the food in like six hours. We so like full day, we intake, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of ingredients and then turn them into, I think we're averaging between 300 and 400 meals a week. Colin, would you say? Wow. It depend, depends on yeah. the person Well, that's and that's them.
3: Like per week, really, we should, that's one day. Like on Sundays is the day, because we're still, the space yeah. is still open. So we're cooking normal a la carte service and people are in the space. And then on Sundays, as soon as we're done with brunch, we're like scrubbing down the kitchen. Marco goes out with his truck. And then we cook like 400 meals out of a kitchen the size of like a big bedroom or something yeah Yeah, it's (laughs) kind of madness
2: yeah we just yeah and then it's at 6 p.m everybody shows up and they pick up their their bag of food for the week and then we, we usually we've been drinking beers at that point for a couple hours and then we go home and just finally go to bed
1: what do these meals look like i mean like what kind of stuff are are you cooking
3: I mean, actually, the crazy thing is like the food is extremely delicious. Uh, Like it turns out if you kind of know what you're doing and you get the salt right, you season correctly. And like, so like me and Marco, you know, we're working every day just like as chefs in the kitchen. So, I mean, it's extremely delicious. Usually we'll sort of like hover around some just cuisine that we're wanting to eat that week. So like this last week, we made like a bunch of Israeli food. We cooked off like we made like chickpeas, this little tahini sauce. Uh, we did like braised chicken thighs with cumin and coriander. The week before we did a bunch of like Italian food. Uh what do we do before? It was like stewed pork, beans.
2: Stewed pork, um, beans, tortillas, uh what else? Oh, and then peppers and onions. Yeah, yeah. So it's so it's yeah, like food you, you can make like a lot of like um different types of meals with. So it's like we don't try to give everyone like, you know, prepackaged like this is the rice, the chicken, and the vegetable. It's like kind of everything together and then we send out like we like we email everyone like colin writes these like really great like how he how we use the food so like you know make little like little like kind of like this week for israeli food we made lafas which are like flatbreads it's like you know little sandwiches with lafa and chicken and tahini and pickles that we made so he sends that out so it's like all these really cool components for the for the meals and we also we, we've started to give out more like more raw ingredients so like this week we just gave out cucumbers and tomatoes and you know sent down instructions on how to make a nice little israeli tomato cucumber salad with some lemon vinaigrette that we also gave them so it's like this fun little thing where it's you're not just getting food you reheat it's like you can kind of still feel like you're cooking also which is cool that's cool
3: yeah i'd say one other thing about the food that like it's weird because i remember writing about it sort of like trying to like justify or explain this idea the first time is like it's weird because like, it's, it's extremely affordable by design, right? Like the goal. So like people pay $25 and they get like 10 meals worth of food. So it needs to be extremely affordable. Just like, we still need to also like get the packaging and all this stuff. It's weird because I realized for some people that feels like, you know, austerity cooking or something, you know, like having to cook for really cheap and make a lot of quantity, but it's weird. Cause like, for both Marco and I, like we both grew up in families who cook, we both grew up in families that don't have a ton of money. Like this is the food I actually like to eat. Like my favorite part of the chicken is the chicken thigh. And it's not a coincidence that that's the cheapest, like for pork, I like pork shoulder and it's not, a, you know what I mean? Like this is how we mm-hmm. ate growing, growing up. So it is sort of an interesting thing of like for us, this is sort of cooking like our most meaningful, most personal food. And sort of spanning that gap between like, hey, you're not living in a bad way if you're like eating food that you can make really cheaply. Because yeah, rice, beans, these sort of like cheap cuts of meat and vegetables that are really affordable. This is like, this is the kind of food that I want to eat like at home. It's like what I cook for myself when I am cooking.
0: I mean, hasn't there been like a return? I mean, before when we were allowed to go to restaurants, uh, I, I felt like there was a, there was a turn where fancy restaurants were making actually very simple dishes and just charging a lot for them as sort of like a return to simplicity sort of thing. And I was like, that's cheating. It's (laughs) right.
2: It's definitely this cool food aesthetic, which like, I think we Colin and I have a very, very strong food, like working relationship because, well, we have a strong friendship and also because like we just like think about things like very differently most of the time. So a lot of things were spot on, which I think are really help healthy. Also, but like what's what's funny about all of this is it's just like it's always like like this last week these Israeli components there was like a lot more of them than normal, and so we were just like scrambling all day to get all the food done. So it it, it like simplicity is like yeah. I, back to Colin's point, like I just think like my whole point here is that like it's it's like what everybody really wants. And, and I always like, am sort of notorious for like, you know, we were doing these really, really elaborate prefix dinners with like 12 different dishes and, you know, these really, really beautiful food. And like the whole time I would just be joking, like, man, I would crush some Whataburger right now. Like, I don't want to eat this food <laughs> at all. But like food for the screwed is interesting. Cause it's, you know, it's like cheap and you know, whatever, like low cost. And, and that's like throughout the week, I'm like, dude, I'm going to crush some of this these chicken thighs and some of this laffa. Yeah. So it's like, it's actually the food that people really want. Mm-hmm. It's just, they don't, you know, not everybody wants to eat tweezer food all the time. Yeah. yeah, That,
3: and it's like comforting, you know, like I think that's one thing, like, especially when like people, you know, there was like a part of the pandemic where I think people were like, I won't see anyone. I will not see my roommate. I will not see my girlfriend. I won't take a walk outside. Cause it was like, uh, you know, everyone's, I, I will die if I see another person. And like now that, at that time when I think people were really isolating in a really serious way, it was also some aspect of like, when you don't, when you can't be like cared for by other people that you want to eat food, you know, that reminds you of being cared for like chicken soup or like, maybe for me, the dishes are different or for Marco, the dishes are different, but those foods that remind you of being cared for is, I mean, that was my experience too. Like, that's what I wanted to eat. When I was like alone, I was like, I don't want to eat, you know, like fancy food. I want to eat like soups and stews and like, rice with stuff on top of it because that's what i ate when i was a kid you know so
1: yeah Yeah.
0: Uh, what is the fanciest weirdest thing you have eaten (laughs) i'll go first on a cruise ship i had a liquefied bruschetta in like a test tube okay it was delicious but weird that
2: sounds like something that i would i would tell colin to as an idea as a joke yeah, and I would say, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. I was almost like, are no. you serious? <laughs> yeah. Like, That's- I just want some bruschetta. They're
0: like, yes, here's the bruschetta. I'm like, mm. yeah.
2: I can't think of any super fancy or weird. Um, yeah, Oh, uh, probably just like like weird, like Goose Hearts. Like I ate mm. at this restaurant, Elski in Chicago. It's a like a Nordic, like tasty menu restaurant. So it was delicious. But, you know, just like really gamey stuff is probably it for me. I'm sure there's like, as soon as we finish, of course, I'm going to think of something. <laughs>
1: My weirdest and my fanciest are probably two different things. My weirdest was probably uh, blood soup, which was oh. actually really good. It sounds weirder than it is. Is it it's like this Thai,
3: the Thai dish? Or yeah, no. oh,
1: yeah, wow. yeah,
3: yeah. It was in. It's like raw it was, pork blood, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but that the soup's like super hot, solid. so it kind of cooks up the blood anyway. So it just sort of like thickens it. <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs> it was. It was good. <laughs> Not exactly selling it, but. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. you're like, don't worry. When the blood, blood, yeah, when yummy. the blood heats up,
2: it 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 uh, thickens. It. It's like, yeah. don't worry, guys. I didn't drink raw blood. Yeah, it just tastes like
1: a pork soup.
0: Plus, like it's spicy, still so not, you know. Yeah, still not selling me on it. Like, uh. <laughs> all,
1: right. all right, the other one. I had a foie gras candy bar at a restaurant once, oh. where they replaced like what would be like the nougat in a candy bar with like a foie gras thing i don't know where it was, was pretty it good. it was in it was in las vegas and i can't remember what the name of the restaurant was
2: mm-hmm. that's that's
1: cool
0: i'm into yeah. that yeah that feels very las Vegas. <laughs> yeah
3: i think i think i know probably i don't know that it's the it's weird to call it the weirdest but i think anyone eating it would be like yeah this is extremely weird it's like a common food in japan but uh when i was a kid we went to like we had these we we visited Japan and we had this like wealthy friend, Mr. Yoshitani, and we went to his house and I was starving and I was like five. So I was like, look around the table, did not know what a lot of this stuff was. You know, there's like little fish and things i had never seen. And I saw what was like surely a potato, you would think was surely a potato. So I ate it. Uh, I forget whether it's called. I think Satsumaimo is uh, like sweet potato. I think it's called Satoimo, but it's basically like it looks like a potato, but Internally, it's like the slimy part of okra. Like the whole thing is like okra slime. So I was starving. I just put the whole thing in my mouth, which is still basically how I eat. And it like smashed into just like a mouthful of slime. And I guess I like sat there for a long time. I was like, I didn't spit it out because like I just that was me as a kid. I was like, whatever I'm eating, I'm going to eat. But I, like, basically did not eat for the rest of the meal. (laughs) My mom was, like, asking me later what happened, and I was like, it was so bad. Uh, Um, But fancy food, I don't know, actually. That's weird. I feel like I don't eat a lot of, like, really fancy. I don't know. I'd have to really think about that one.
0: I I don't seek out super fancy food. I mean, because, again, when you're hungry, you want to be comforted, not Mm -hmm. confused or, you know, exploratory, I guess.
1: I think we've all been at some point in our life where... We were trying to eat really cheap because money was tight. Um, and I remember when I was in that situation, it was stuff like, you know, I was making a crock pot of rice and beans because I could mm-hmm. make that for about four bucks and stretch it over most of a week. Right. So it's I, I I think most people, when they think of I need to eat cheap, they think of stuff like that. Right. That I'm going to go buy the cheapest meat and make a big pot of goulash. And I'm going to try to eat that for, you know, so it's kind of interesting to see your take on it. It's not just feeding people, but it's also kind of, you can kind of show people like, hey, you can actually eat good, better food and still eat cheaply. Yeah. Was that part of your goal or is that just kind of a byproduct of it?
3: Well, I think, I think part of it is that like, um, you know, this isn't like us inventing how to cook for cheap you know, like there's whole cuisines basically that came out of like a culture just being poor as all hell, you know? I mean, like I talked to like my dad and especially my grandma about like what they ate growing up. Like my grandma was like, our normal meal is like rice with salt, (laughs) you know? Like she talks about getting to eat like pickled vegetables, you know, like it was a special thing that would happen a few times a year. But then like within almost every culture, you know, there's dishes that like specifically came out of, of times when people didn't have a lot of money. They were like... Uh, not prosperous times, so like that's that's a cool thing for us is like we don't have to invent cuisines that are awesome when you don't have a lot of money. All you have to do is just look them up or like for us, since we like cook a lot, obviously like we can just think of like, oh yeah, we can make like a curry for extremely cheap, you know it's not like as cheap as just buying rice and beans, but I mean, we're feeding people for like a dollar or two a meal
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, like most people can't well. Many people who like don't really cook very often would struggle to cook say for $2 a meal and make really super tasty like healthy balanced food cuz yeah also the food it's not like it's just like I mean I don't know like it really is healthy like there's vegetables starches proteins like not too much salt not you know what I mean like it's just like good balanced mm-hmm. kind of international food
0: Yeah it, it, it's like if you need to find out like a a, a cheap easy, delicious recipes. like, ask your grandparents, Yeah. like, what did you have when you were a kid? Yeah. And it's usually that thing. Yeah. And in my case, it, it would be boiled chicken, which is not delicious at all. So I'm glad I don't have to make that now. But there are good, uh, cheap uh, Jewish meals, just not in my family, apparently. So we want people to know how, how this process works and how they can help you make these meals. So like, can you, can you walk us through how the process works? From a, like a, a donor's perspective, as someone who wants to give you money to buy these things, like where should they go? Uh, how much do you need for a certain amount of meals? How often they should give if they want to, that sort of thing.
2: We, I guess right now we have a fundraising goal of like roughly $4,200 and I think we're about halfway there. And so actually what the, what the donation would go to is not necessarily food costs because that is what, that is what um, everybody is paying for. Though I guess if if someone was interested in sponsoring like a week of meals for like everybody that receives food because it's the same it's the same people every week which has been I think really cool so uh so I guess that would be an, a way if someone was interested in, and they actually just wanted to purchase food that's a that's a way they could donate but so we have the we have a, a list of uh of like equipment that we need so I think one of our limiting factors right now is we have a waitlist of about twenty five people. Um, so every week we're feeding about 35 people and there's obviously more people that need it and more people that are our friends that are in the industry. And so, but the limiting factors not only is space, um, and then like manpower. So truly, or I guess people is right. We should, but I, we should be saying, but like, so right now it's Colin and I and two other people that like kind of come for a couple hours to help, but Colin and I are doing um, ben and Sarah, shout out to them. They're incredible. I don't want to leave them nameless. They're amazing. But you know, consistently it's Colin and I. You know, buying the food, doing the cooking, the thinking, the seasoning, everything. And so, um, we just don't have enough hands to do it. And so, we created a list of equipment that would help us to kind of expand our capacity, even if it was just the two of us. So, like a a big propane burner to to you know, because we have this giant giant eighty quart pots to cook like big batches of stuff outside um especially as the weather gets warmer um here hopefully soon it'll be like a a way to to do that um so that's that's where the money will go to and then that'll go to equipment and then it'll also go to packaging and then it'll go to propane to power those cuz we have one propane burner now that we like you know cook big braises in or cook a bunch of of sauce and stuff like that like it's a funny thing i i have only started
3: working in restaurants in the last like 3 years or 2 years no 3 3 years and it's funny like if you don't work in restaurants. I think it's easy to not think about like the logistics of just how, how does, how do things happen? You know, like if you're going to give, uh, say, four or five quarts of food to 30 people and you want to make like 150 quarts of food, you know, it's four quarts to a gallon. It's like, where do you put 30 gallons of stuff that you need to cook and whatever? Like, if I just challenge one of you guys to be like, cool, let's make 100 quarts of anything like at your house, you'd quickly realize like, oh, I don't have 100 quarts. Of pots to cook anything in. My <laughs> oven's only going to be able Christmas. to fit, <laughs> yeah. you know, my oven could fit maybe 40, 50 quarts. So like, it's funny. I mean, it's comical in a really fun and maniacal way when we are cooking, where there's times when like, there's a propane burner out back, it's or on the patio, it's on all the way. The flat top is on all the way, three burners are on all the way, and the oven is on all the way. And that is just like, it's like every source of heat in the restaurant is working to try to cook food. So yeah, I mean that equipment, I think it's weird cause it's like, it's not like, oh, let's get some really super deluxe stuff. It's just like, how can you move? I mean, this last week we had 120 pounds of chicken thighs. It's like, you. You actually have to get all that cooked and hot and seasoned somehow, so even stuff like just having big containers to mix in, like we're never making quantities like this at the restaurant like we're never serving a hundred pounds of protein in a night, but yeah, it actually has been a really fun learning experience too, like as we've started getting some of this stuff to just see like, oh, it's a whole different workflow, but it's cool and it helps
1: so are you are you looking for any um additional volunteers? I know you probably only have so much space in the kitchen, but additional you know professional you know, chefs, line cooks, anything like that, to help out, or are you looking to expand? If somebody has additional kitchen space, storage space, are those other things you might be looking for?
2: Yeah, if we can, if there's someone that wants to just give us their, you know, like 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 we've thought about like a space like Mother Road Market, their kitchen because mm-hmm. they have a big walk-in, would be like really nice to. Um, so yeah, that's something we're thinking about is like bigger spaces for us to occupy. We're, I mean, because of COVID and our our protocols, we're pretty weary of, and like we have such a small staff that if one of us yeah. like, you know, if Colin or I, and Colin and I live together. So if one of us gets COVID or has to quarantine, both of us have to quarantine. And so right. that's like an unfortunate, so we're not particularly looking for people to come and cook, though we would be interested in like a partnership if another restaurant wanted to essentially run their own site, like Food for the Screwed site, then we could, you know, just funnel like give you know put the give them their money um for their group people that would pick up there and they would be responsible for cooking the food um so that is something that we are trying to trying to find because like i said we have a waiting list of people we're trying to get fed as soon mm-hmm. as we can
0: yeah i mean because like location wise you are close to two restaurants i assume have much bigger kitchens than you mm. yeah <laughs> which would be el guapo's and mcnelly's yeah. <laughs> yeah um so uh We'll see. We'll see what we can do do about that. Because I mean, those kitchens are, I imagine, huge. I've never seen them, yeah, but yeah. Uh, only from from a side glance <laughs> yeah. uh, on my way to the bathroom, usually intoxicated. But <laughs> I assume they're big. Yeah.
1: One the one thing I am curious about because you because you mentioned obviously the style of cooking you're doing for this is different than what you do at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. But has you know, kind of cooking and maybe experimenting a little bit with this, with different cuisines, stuff like that, has it impacted? your style of cooking or anything for what you do for the restaurant?
3: I mean, for me, at least I would say it's more of like, uh it's like, they both come from the same root, I guess okay. more so than like, it's weird. Cause for the most part, we're tending towards things like nothing we're cooking on Sundays is like really experimental. You know, it's not edgy. It's not avant-garde at all, but mm-hmm. it is interesting. Cause I think there's a part of that core is in our food as well. Like, uh, I think vintage just by nature being a wine bar. Like I think when people think of wine, they think of like fanciness by and large. And like, that's something we're like hoping and trying to change. But like the food we make there, I would say like the, one of the big things that sets it apart from other people who are like really taking their food seriously and working hard and trying to like push themselves and make new stuff is that like at the root of it, we kind of do value simplicity and more cheap stuff. Like there's no, there's no dish on the menu of vintage that costs $10. Everything is less than $10. Um, And there's like pretty, cool experimental like, you know, dishes with four or five components. And they're not like crazy. They're all based on like sensible ideas that have existed before. But like uh I think that's part of it is like the deeper we get into it, like both Marco and I are pretty young chefs like as far as our career goes. But it's like realizing like part of the core that I really at least can't really get away from is like I don't want to right now, I do not at all want to cook dishes that cost $50 or $60. Even like $40 to for me is like kind of crazy. Like when we were doing those dinners that were a little bit more expensive, you know, they're $50 a head, it was like 13 different plates of food. And I like that, that allowed me to feel really good about because everyone was really cared for, you know, you come out to like $4 per really cool little taste experience. Um, But yeah, I think like the two just come from the same place, which is like, I want to eat the kind of food that I could afford to eat. You know, I used to be a teacher. So like, I couldn't have afforded to spend like $200 on dinner, but I can definitely spend afford to spend, you know, $50 once a month or
2: now like $25 once a week to eat for a week. Like that's pretty darn good. I think, I think Colin and I too, it's like our, our like time, the time that we've spent all the time that we've spent cooking together started with food for the screwed. So like we started, so in, you know, exactly a year ago. I was assistant principal of an elementary school and Colin and I were connected through like a mutual friend and mostly because like people both knew us as people that like to cook, like in general. And at that point he had already started to work in restaurants. He had left teaching. And so like we, so like when I joined the team, I, my first like, Day at Vintage, my first like was February 17th. So, I mean, it was like right before mm-hmm. COVID. Yeah. So it was like, it was that President's Day and I had a day off. And so we cooked a like a Japanese style hot pot nabe dinner. That was amazing. But, but it was like the first time that we had like worked together and I had already knew I was going to leave. I was going to leave my job at the end of the year. And so I like wanted to get back into cooking um like professionally. And so, and then, and then the pandemic hit. So then it was just like, I remember calling. Like we had planned to do these dinners over spring break and then, you know, everything shut down and Colin, like I remember we like talked on the phone and he was like, yeah, we're going to try to do this. Like at the time it was food for the fuck. He's like, we're going to try to do this food for the fuck thing. Like, do you want to do it? And I was like, absolutely. Yes. And then we just started doing it. And so at the time, you know, we were really weary about any of us working together at any point so um we had there were three of us there was colin myself oh and then nick. nick what nick, a guy baby, nick smith baby baby nick, nick. if you're ever goodness. at sir go go tell nick that he's dumb but he's we love not, him so much he's not actually a baby to be clear we do not endorse he's, child labor but he is yeah. very young he's like 20 he's, very young. he's <laughs> 20 so so nick same thing like just kind of was like down to help out and so i would work 8 p.m to 2 a.m colin would work 2 a.m to 8 a.m and then Nick would work 8 a.m. till like all the food was packed up. And so originally it was just like the three of us doing this project. And then as like time went on, we like knew we needed to reopen. So we started doing these dinners and all of this like Longwood started to say like my, I think Colin and I cook from no matter what type of food it is, no matter like what the aesthetic is, no matter, even no matter how experimental it is, it's like the end of the day, we want to cook for people that are our friends. And we want to do that like across a variety of contexts. So like, even if you're not our friend and you like come to the, like if you come to the restaurant, like Colin and I are on the floor all the time, as much as we can be talking to people about the food. And I think we've made so many friends that like, it's like vintage feels like, you know, this little community. Every night that I work service, there's always somebody that I know, both like who's my friend in a past life that's coming to eat. And then also somebody that we've made friends through the restaurant. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it goes like both the restaurant and Food for the Screwed go back to this idea of like, yeah, we just, we want to cook food that we want to eat and we want to do it for our friends to like, you know, cooking's about community. It's about taking care of each other.
1: And it sounds like you end up with restaurant bill the way it's supposed to be like 20% food and then 80% whatever you're drinking. So you've got that extra, you got plenty of extra money to spend on the wine.
2: That's exactly what it is. Yeah.
1: And I've seen the wine list. There's definitely wine that's over $10. So there
2: <laughs> Yes. Is yeah. Yeah, until until Matt lets us get some two buck chuck in there. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be. But wine, for the most part, is over ten dollars.
0: Which, by the way, a two buck chuck is no longer two dollars. It's three dollars. Oh, 03 so buck it's chuck. Three buck chuck, which does not oh, no. flow as well. No. Uh, <laughs> still tastes. Still, still, gives you a real bad headache the next day.
1: Yeah.
0: So yeah, let's like good transition into wine, Chris. <laughs> Thank let's you. let's talk about wine for a little bit because I am not a wine connoisseur. Uh, Chris can judge himself. I am not. I do know. I do know what I like, and I do know what I don't like, but what I still can't figure out is why some wines are expensive and why some <laughs> wines are not. So also, first, first question though, I want to know your thoughts on corks, twist tops, and I guess cans, slash boxes, as far as wine goes, why, as far as how they actually serve a wine and whether uh, a wine that has one of those actually affects how it tastes.
3: I defer to Colin here. Colin is Mr. Wine. <laughs> <right. but> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm not actually Mr. Wine, whatever. But before I used to work at Oren over on Brookside and I was like buying the wine and doing all the tastings, which by the way, I've realized like, I don't know how people really, if you're, if you don't have money or you don't have someone who already knows about wine, I have no idea how you figure it out. But it's nice when you're buying wine for a restaurant, wine reps just come and taste you on like, I mean, I probably tried like several hundred bottles just while I was there all for because They're like, please buy this for the restaurant. Yeah. Twist tops are good. Corks are good. I don't think I've ever actually had a good wine in a can, but I don't know. That may just be a coincidence. Like I imagine people who are like in France making fancy wine, aren't really feeling the, feeling the pressure to go to cans. And then same with box wine. I mean, like, I think there's some, some decent box. Like this is the weird thing that I didn't know about wine is like, there's a, there's a ton of stuff that is like good. Like the I wouldn't even say the majority of stuff, but there's an enormous amount of wine that's good from every like spectrum. And then there's a little bit that's excellent. And I would say like a little bit that's truly awful. So I feel like probably a lot of box wine like fits in the category of just being like good, like not great. Like we probably, um, you know, if we, if we're only going to have like 20 wines on our, by the glass, we're probably not going to have one of them be a box, (laughs) but at the same time, like, I mean, also, like me and Marco don't really have super expensive taste like in wine either. You know, like we we both really like wine. I mean, partially like we spend all day around people who are like obsessed with it and like know <laughs> a ton about it. So that's obviously that obviously helps. No, I mean I think like fanciness, like that's for me like one of the worst things about wine is it feels fancy, you know. play other places in the world, people just drink it with dinner every day. It's like drinking a Coke yeah. or something, you know, like but yeah, no, I love wine.
0: I, I yeah. I learned a lot about the, the problems with cork and wine on my honeymoon in New Zealand, where they just stopped getting cork because yeah. half of their shipments were ruined by the time they got it. And they're like, there's gotta be a better system than this, right? Yeah. And so they just you know, twist off every bottle. I'm like, yeah, this is a stupid system. Why are we doing this? <laughs> like there's better ways to keep wine, you know, to last longer than a cork. What I'm curious now, like what we're gonna talk about here for the last couple of minutes before Chris has to go, is like, where do, you, where do you all see this program going as the sort of pandemic continues and eventually we may or may not all get the vaccine like these people still don't necessarily make a lot of money in the service industry and it's going to take the service industry a while to recover so like have you guys thought about what's what's version two of this
2: it's kind of crazy but right now it sort of works the way that it is i think our, our vision is like 30 weeks so that's like from when we started like uh what like october right september october so, I mean, that's like, you know, there's some, you know, I, I've stopped trying to figure out when the world will be fully vaccinated and I can be out and about and go to Texas Roadhouse. But like I, I um, for now, I think our, our plan is to keep doing what we're doing and, and hopefully find it, like I said, another restaurant or a space that allows us to increase our capacity. Um, and then I, I, you know, or we die you know, from COVID who knows we It's either death. It's like death or 30 weeks will happen. So I don't really, I don't really think of life much further than that. So I don't really know.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing about it too, that I think like if people are trying to understand sort of like what the program is, I think it's like very openly not about like saving every person in Tulsa. You know, it was like literally people on our staff were falling short on rent or like having to make difficult choices between what to buy and then just like people we knew directly, like people whose contacts I have in my phone, I would see like on social media or something like, hey, I'm in a rough spot, I need help, blah, blah, blah. This is just us trying to reach the community that we're closest to with like all the resources that we have available. I think for Marco and I, like it's not our goal to make this like our full-time job. Like we do this on essentially a day off. Like we clock out at the end of brunch and we cook, listen to music. There's no one else in the building. So it's just like a fun day for us to do like what the mission really is. But yeah, I think like, I don't know that there is a version two. like, we're not like Jose Andres has this thing, world, world kitchen, like we're not trying to be world kitchen. We're not really trying to like save the world or even Tulsa as a whole. It's just like, if we're connected to these people and we know they need it and it's within our power to do it, then like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to try to, we're going to try to do it.
1: So more of a uh, we'll say a fluff question. So what's been the what's been your the favorite thing that, that
2: you've made doing this? What's been it, your favorite? It nearly meal? killed us, but it's it's been Israeli for me. Oh, I don't know. We made this Thai curry, or I guess original food for the screwed. These the picadillo one time was pretty good, but picadillo dito were were good. But which maybe we should bring back this week, chef. But anyway, um, for me the the chicken thighs and the, like I I, I also I ate it last night. Like I had a laffa with chicken thighs, tahini sauce, and pickles, and, like, you just can't beat it. You can't beat that food. That food is just so good. So, yeah, that, that's up there.
3: It really is so delicious. It's like I'm craving it right now. I haven't eaten yet. Oh, my God. No, that's big. he will be hesitant to say it because it was him leading that that dish, but, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like So we made these little picadillo tostadas that at first I was like, Chef, we're not going to cook that. Like, everyone thinks ground beef is, like, terrible. And he was like, all right, well, I'm just going to cook it, and we'll see. Like there were people who like go to vintage, you know, who go out to like fancy restaurants who were messaging us, this is like back, uh, like we haven't done it on this cycle of food for the screw. This is back like maybe June or something. There were people who like go to all these fancy restaurants, they're regulars of vintage, who are like supporting us with bunny, but then also getting food to take home to their families. And they were like, This is the this is my favorite dish I've had all year. This is the favorite dish I've had in three years. We're like, we cook this, you know, from 2 a.m. until like, you know, the middle of the night in a pot the size of your three children. Like, but it's really good. I mean, that's the crazy thing. is like, it's really super, super delicious. But yeah, those picadillo styles were so good.
0: Technical question I've noticed from looking at different websites. Is it food for the screwed spelled normally or food for the screwed apostrophe D? Because I see it both ways, and uh, just from a branding standpoint, I want to both help people find it and, you know, market it.
3: In the words of Marco, there's
2: literally no way to know. <laughs> there's there's no way to no. know. I think on our on our <laughs> website, okay. it's it's food for the screwed, like just spelled normally. Yeah. I think sometimes I do the apostrophe. It's like, yeah, it changes. Yeah. But but I think, I think, I think if I had to give an official answer, it would be food for the screwed spelled all the way. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And also the link, it's just, it's just like our vintage homepage, which is wine bar Tulsa slash donate. This is like, we're not doing like a ton of different philanthropical things. So yeah, if you just go to wine bar Tulsa slash donate, it like explains the program. There's links to donate and everything.
0: We will definitely include that. Uh, Are you thinking any food for the screwed merch?
3: We had talked about this back in the day. There's like, I don't know if it was ever meant to be a secret, but the second dish we ever made was gumbo. I'm sorry to bring back all your trauma, Marco. For those who know about gumbo, you cook like the cook like this roux at the beginning. So we were doing that in an 80 quart pot. So you're talking about like, you know, (laughs) 15 pounds of this like boiling oil and flour. So that's what Marco would spend every night doing, and then he'd hand it off to me at 2 a.m. But so for a while, I would
2: literally be stirring roof for like four <laughs> hours just standing there.
3: But so at that time at that time we called ourselves the, we called ourselves the Gum Boys, and we had talked about making a shirt <laughs> with like the oh the yeah. faces of us three who were cooking, and then this guy, Zach Annette, shout out to you, Zach. what what a guy. He's a true living angel on earth, <laughs> um, but he taught us how to make gumbo. so we talked about maybe making that. but we'll see. that's actually not a bad idea.
2: Yeah. We, we have a lot of people. Chef, you said shout out like that. We that like also like Ben and Sarah do for most, for the most part, they've been there every week helping us cook and package food. Um, they're amazing. Uh, Matt who owns vintage lets us do literally whatever we want with the food and with food for the screwed. And he's you know, always just like, yeah, totally sure. You know, he like just gives us the credit card and like totally trusts us, which is cool. Shout out to him. And then big shout out to Megan the Stallion. Megan Thee Stallion. That 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 album came out and I don't think that we listened to anything else. I think we've given the rest of the kitchen staff, Brad, and big shout out to, to Brad yes. and Alex, our our kitchen counterparts, they're incredible too. But I think we've just been giving them a break. But I think I feel a Megan the Stallion
0: in you know, a week
2: coming yeah. on.
1: One more kind of specific question. So I, I think we talked a little bit about, you know, maybe giving people, if we can find people an opportunity to like sponsor a week. So you don't have to get exact, but what does that number look like? Is sponsoring a week, is that like five hundred dollars? Is that like a thousand dollars? What what does a sponsorship look like?
2: It's if it's thirty-five people, twenty-five bucks, so it's eight hundred and seventy-five dollars would be the would be what it would be to sponsor a week.
3: Yeah. And like one thing I should say about that is like because of the way we've structured it, if like once we basically hit like our fundraising goal for equipment, like anyone who wants to do that, it's basically like just food cost i think that's a thing that's nice also about the model like right now the the money that we charge our friends 25 bucks for like a week's worth of meals they know that all of that like that is literally our budget like this week it was like we have 750 dollars to spend and we like go and spend all of it we get all those ingredients and we cook all of it so i think in that way it's a pretty like simple it's not like oh well how much are the chefs taking how much like we are pay ourselves in a few beers and a lot of just like having fun and talking shit with each other. But yeah, so like if you're sponsoring a week, you're just sponsoring like us buying, you know, 500 pounds of ingredients and then cooking it for our friends.
2: Decided early on, we were going to build in the cost of a case of Miller Lite like every other week. We just accepted yeah. that, like, yeah. listen, you know, <laughs> selflessness aside, I need I need to win too, okay? And I win makes sense. you know, by drinking free Miller Lite,
0: mm-hmm. champagne of beers, <laughs> the Miller High Life. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. feel like you deserve at least that <laughs> yeah, for cooking all this food. Thank you both for joining us today. I hope I hope that this um, podcast helps even slightly in this great program because there are there are lots of different kinds of people struggling right now. But I know that restaurant workers and service workers weren't doing great beforehand and so it became even worse during this pandemic when we all are trying to both not gain 100 pounds but also support our local businesses and restaurants so thank you thank you both for joining us and uh we wish you luck and hopefully when we're allowed to go to restaurants again we we can come by the wine bar and eat eat simply
2: thank you cool thank you
0: Thank you all for listening to our conversation with Colin and Marco. Please go to www.vintagewinebartelsa.com slash donate to support them and this awesome program. Uh, You can also find that link in the show notes if you are too lazy to type it out from what I just said. Speaking of the internet, please follow Pod for Good on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And of course, please rate and subscribe us on apple podcast if you do that i will read it on air unedited whatever it says and as as always telsa please get it done broken arrow get together and please wear a mask